0: If you would, open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4. That's where we're going to start this morning. Well, it is uh, my joy to be here this morning. Um, For those of you who've been following Sunday school, uh, I have not... Like the video uh, and struggled in a lot of ways with it, so I'm glad to be here in person this morning. Uh, Rod called me or texted me a few weeks ago and said, "Hey, we're going to be starting sun- in in-person Sunday school. Would you consider skipping a week and then starting in person?" And I texted him back and said, "Brother, you've just set me free." <laughs> um, so. Uh, For those of you who may not have uh, been watching Sunday School, the last four weeks we've been going through a series on child training and looking at it really from a biblical perspective and just trying to put on, if you will, a biblical worldview when it comes to seeing how we raise our children, and uh, and we're going to continue that this week. And I I will do a quick review uh, of where we've been so far, just in case you haven't been here. And I'm sorry, I'm going to take my watch off because that clock is not right. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to come together as a body uh, to look at your word and to consider things, to hear your word proclaimed. Lord, we ask that you would give us hearts of understanding, um, hearts of of um, humility when it comes to your word that we would uh, see the errors in the ways that we do things that we would repent before you lord we ask that you would give us great wisdom when it comes to raising our children we recognize that they are a gift from you and uh, lord that we are are your agents in their lives and uh, father i pray that you would just give us glimpses of how to be faithful in doing that And, uh, Lord, we pray that our children would grow to love you with all of their heart, all of their soul, and all of their mind. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, So, the last four weeks, we've been going through a book called Shepherding a Child's Heart, and it's by Ted Tripp. Um, I highly recommend the book. I'm not covering everything in the book. We have this week and we have next week. Uh, so just a, a little review on where we've been, and, and then we'll get started with today. Proverbs 4, 23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And this is really the foundation of the book. And the idea is uh, is that, first and foremost, behavior, what we see People doing or saying, or what we do, what we say, uh, is not ultimately the issue. And we see this over and over in Scripture, and we see it in this verse. It says, watch over your heart with all vigilance or diligence, because from your heart flow the issues of life. Um, and if, if you want to turn here real quick, it's in Luke chapter 6, uh, or I'll just read it, uh, Luke six forty five. let me back up, actually, let me start in verse 43. It says, "'For no good tree bears bad fruit, uh, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good, and the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks.'" So the idea is that you have behavior, what we say, what we do, that originates in the heart. The heart produces behavior. So whatever's in the heart is exposed by behavior. Um, and they are close, the behavior and the heart attitude are closely linked. Um, but what we see is the behavior. We don't see the heart attitude Um, And so, chapter 1, basically getting to the heart of behavior, uh, just is pointing out this biblical concept that it's not behavior. If behavior is the product of the heart attitude, then really we don't need to deal with just the behavior. And if we're only dealing with behavior, then we're not doing our job. Does that make sense? If behavior is not the root issue then we can't just focus on behavior. We have to somehow work our way back from the behavior to the heart attitude that produced the behavior if we're going to be faithful parents, biblically speaking. Um, We are called, uh, and Tripp's uh, analogy here I think is helpful, we are called to fight on the world's tiniest battlefield, your child's heart. Uh, and, and in many ways, as we've kind of looked and seen as we've gone through this, um, many of us aren't real good at examining our own hearts. And so we have a hard time examining our children. And so one thing you can do to be a better parent is to start to look at your behavior and trace that back to a hard attitude, which is what we should be doing anyways. Um, The goal of Christian parenting is not merely dealing with behavior. The goal of Christian parenting is to transform, to be an agent in transforming the heart. Chapter 2 and chapter 3, which we covered uh, in the second week, was all about a child's development and understanding uh, what makes a person become the person they are. And really, he looked at two different things. There's two chapters uh, chapter 2 is on shaping influences. Shaping influences, everybody talks about. Uh, there's books written on birth order and the, the role that birth order has in determining who a child becomes, and that would be a shaping influence. Um, shaping influences are the catalysts in a child's life that have the ability, and I'm, I'm wording this carefully, these catalysts have the ability to shape who this child becomes. And it's things like the family structure, uh, events in a, in a child's life. If, if a child experiences a traumatic event, that could impact who they become. It also includes family values, uh, roles in, in uh, family roles, uh, who does what in the family. All of these can tend to shape and, and mold that child into becoming a particular person. Um, also, how the family handles conflict, how the family responds to failure. I mean, this list can go on and on, but you get the idea. There are, there are influences in everyone's life and in our children's life that can tend to shape who they are. They have the ability to shape who they become. Um, there's two errors when we think about shaping influences, and we have to kind of balance these two er errors out. Um, One is to say that shaping influences are deterministic. In other words, uh, shaping influences have to determine who that child becomes. So it's almost like if you have A and B, that will definitely equal C, and that's a mistake. Because shaping influences, they can shape you, they have the ability to shape you, but they're, it's not a deterministic thing. And, that's, and we're going to get to why that's true in just a minute. The other error is to say shaping influences play no role in shaping who that child becomes. And both of those, I think, would be a mistake. Um, chapter 3, he deals with why uh, shaping influences aren't deterministic. And that's, he calls this chapter word, chapter, Godward orientation. Basically, we were created to respond. So you have all of these shaping influences. They're the circumstances in life. And we can think of some really bad circumstances or some really bad um, events that could happen that really would impact someone's life. But Ted Tripp, I think, correctly argues that we are created to respond to those events. And we have a choice in how we respond to those events or to the shaping influences. And simply put, we can either respond in faith or we can respond in unbelief. And what our children are going to do and what we do is when something happens in life, uh, it could be anything, it could be disappointing news, we have a choice. We can respond to that. In, by faith, or we can respond in unbelief, and and how we respond will will determine who we become. So it's two of those things interacting. It's the shaping influences, and it's the child's Godward orientation. A lot of times, what you'll see in kids' lives is the idols will start to become exposed when events happen, and. As parents, we need to take advantage of those opportunities. Um, Let me read you one example of where where you see this. This is in Proverbs chapter 9. Again, I can just read it if you don't want to turn there, but if you want to turn there, that would be great. You're going to see um, how the Bible describes people responding to the same thing, the same event, if you will. Uh, this is cha- uh, chapter 9, verse 7. It says, Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. So you have a scoffer. This is a person who's having a, an event happen to them, and that's correction. Notice this person is responding in a particular way, and it is to hate the person correcting them or to abuse the person correcting them. But it goes on to say, reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. So you have two people, and the way you can tell these two people, you have the scoffer and the wise man, and the way you distinguish those two people is how they respond to correction. Same event, same circumstance, you're being corrected. How do they respond? So we are responders to our circumstances. Uh, and again, <clears throat> I mentioned the story of Joseph is the, the best illustration of this. If you want to identify someone in the Bible who had the worst Shaping influences. It's Joseph. Joseph was the favorite son. And yet, his life almost instantly, if you look at it purely in terms of shaping influence, did a nosedive. Joseph could have responded in a lot of different ways, but he chose to respond by faith in all of those circumstances. Uh, the third week, we looked at the fact that uh, this is chapter four in Tripp's book, and it's, the title of that chapter is You're in Charge. Um, and, and this is important because we, in particular in our culture, uh, because we live in a culture that in many ways despises authority. We don't like authority. Not only do we not like to be under authority, we don't even like to be in authority. And there's a problem in both situations. <clears throat> But we as parents, we are called to be in charge. If you're a parent, you have a calling, and your calling is to be the authority in your child's life. You don't have the option of not dealing with a discipline issue because God has given us, the uh, He's called us to be a, a person in this child's life who is that child's authority, and so we, we need to recognize, though, because there, there's errors here on both sides, uh, that we are acting on God's behalf as parents. God has called us, but in His calling, we don't, we're not just authorities in our own right. We are, are acting on behalf of God. So if you look at it this way, you have God who is the ultimate authority. You have your child. God has installed you as an authority figure, to act on his behalf in the shepherding of this child, in the raising and training of this child. And so we need to recognize that we are his agents. Um, Not only do we have to act, but we have to act in a particular way. Um, We are called to shepherd our children's hearts, um, and, and in that, to act as the authority, but to do it in a way that God calls us to do it. We need to help our kids see, uh, and I'm going to use a term here, a Latin term, uh, and I'll use it a, a few times. Uh, is the word is corum Deo, and it basically means before the face of God, I guess is probably the best translation. At least that's what I've heard. I'm not a Latin person. Um, so we want our kids to see the fact that they are living quorum Deo. We need to see the fact that we live quorum Deo. Every decision that we make Every um, thing we do, we are doing it, or should recognize we are doing it before the face of God. In other words, we are living in relation to God, constantly aware of the fact that we are acting as His agents, and we want our kids to understand that they are living their lives under God. Does that make sense? So we are authorities for our kids. Uh, but we are acting as agents, and God calls us specifically to be shepherds. Therefore, our discipline should be corrective, not merely punitive. When we correct our children, it should be, when we discipline our children, it should be corrective, not punitive. It should be done out of love. There's no place for anger when you're acting on God's behalf. There's only place for anger when you're acting on your own behalf. And if you think about it, uh, if you have a tendency to respond in anger, um, what is that producing in your child? It's producing a fear of man. And that's not our goal. Um, Next, Uh, Last week, we we covered chapters 5 and 6, and uh, those were uh, looking at uh, our goals as parents uh, because if we're going to do this right, we need to understand and identify the goal that God has for us, and I've kind of alluded to some of that, but let's look at some unbiblical goals first, Uh, and again, I'm reviewing. We covered this in much more detail uh, in, in the last time. Uh, these are just some unbiblical goals. <clears throat> well-adjusted kids. Uh, this goal has as its chief concern uh, having kids with a good self-esteem. We want our kids to be well-adjusted. Um, and let me, let me finish, then I'll come back and talk about them all. Um, so another unbiblical goal is that we have well-rounded kids. And this is kind of the idea that I want my kids to participate in a lot of different activities so that they're well-rounded in life. Um, And so uh, having well-rounded kids. Uh, Your goal may be to have well-behaved kids. Um, Your ultimate goal in parenting is that your kids are obedient. Um, And many of us say amen. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, your goal may be to have educated kids. Uh, I want my kids to have a good education. And ultimately what what we mean by that is I want them to be successful and this is the way I'm looking at success. They have a good job. They they live in a nice home. They drive nice cars and they have a nice family. Uh, Or maybe your parenting goal, again, an unbiblical goal would be to have churched kids. And what Tripp means by this is uh, you're, you're merely taking them to church. Uh, you're not training them in, in a godly way. Uh, you have church kids, and, and you can look at statistics. They are all over the place. Uh, and I don't know the percentage, but it is a high percentage of kids who grow up going to church every Sunday, and yet what happens when they're no longer under their parents' authority? they quit going to church. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that, uh, but there's a problem. Uh, if our goal is just to have churched kids, uh, it's the wrong goal. We're confusing the means with the end. Um, the The means can never become the end of our goal. Now, what's wrong with these goals? Obviously, uh, you probably would like to have some of these things for your kids, these in and of themselves aren't the problem. The problem is when they become our main goal for our kids. Do y'all see that? So it's not necessarily a bad thing to have your kid in in piano class. Uh, That's that's not the point. The point is, is when that becomes your main focus, that you want your kids to be well-rounded and you want them to experience a lot of things and that becomes your main goal. So what should be our main goal? Uh, Well, we're going to look at, we looked at last time, the Westminster Confession, the first question, and what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That should be our main goal. We want to raise our kids so that they are living life to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And everything else we do, other goals that we may have for them, needs to fit under that and be in line with that. So sometimes it takes looking at the goals that we have and say, okay, does this really line up with my ultimate aim, my ultimate goal? To have my kids living life for the glory of God and to enjoy Him forever. Uh, As God's agents uh, in our children's lives... We should have that as our highest aim uh, in, in training them. We need to help them to see that they are created in God's image, that they were created for God, and that they'll only truly be satisfied when they're living life to glorify Him. They'll only enjoy Him forever when they're living for His glory. So that's our main goal You were created in the image of God, and everything we do needs to communicate this to our kids. You were not only created in His image, but you were created for Him. You were created for His purposes. And you know what? His purposes are that you'll live your life making decisions that glorify Him. And then, son, daughter, you'll be happy. You'll be truly satisfied when you're doing life that way. That should be our main objective. Okay, so we'll spend the remainder of today and next week. That's our goal. Now let's look at our methods. You know, when you, when you have a, a car and the car is out of alignment, if it's, if it's a significant issue, uh, you're going to notice something when you're driving it, right? Um, your car is going to tend to pull one way or the other. And you'll feel it, especially if you let go of the steering wheel. Your car go, you know. That's because your car's out of alignment. Sometimes, though, your car can be out of alignment, and it's subtle. You don't really notice it when you're driving, but someone who's trained can look at your tires and see the wear pattern and realize, hey, this car is out of alignment. So what I want to do today is I want to look at some methods that are very common in our culture. And I want us to examine those methods and reject them because they're not in line with our goal. If we want our goal to be to have our kids glorify God and enjoy Him forever, then what methods are we using to get there? Let's look at that. And then next week we'll, we'll look at biblical methods that we should be employing. Okay, let me. I wanted to read uh, a little bit from Tripp's book. It's just a couple sentences. Uh, he says this, We cannot be indifferent to methodology. Biblically, the method is as important as the objectives. Biblically, the methods that we use are as important to God as the objective. God speaks to both issues. He is concerned not only with what we do, but also how we do it. One thing is certain. Our culture has no end in methods we should use as parents. Um, and I'm going to suggest to you that most of them don't line up with a goal. The first method uh, I'm calling, I can't remember what Tripp calls it, but to me it made sense to call it the default method. Um, This is the method that most of us tend to use because we haven't really thought about our parenting methods and we haven't really thought about our parenting goals. And so what we do is we default to the methods that we were taught, that we experienced growing up. It could be from a parent or a grandparent or whatever the case is. Uh, it's, it's a default mode. It's reactionary uh, by nature because it's not well thought through. And usually we employ this method when we're frustrated or we're angry uh, because it is reactionary. It's not something we're thinking about. So, and uh, it, we usually rash, rationalize it this way we say, you know, I didn't turn out so bad. So it's good for me, it'll be good for my kids. And, and we just employ whatever method we were taught. The second one, uh, unbiblical method, is, um, is what Tripp calls pop psychology or behavior modification. Uh, pop psychology or behavior modification. Uh, this is what you're likely to get watching Oprah, uh, watching Dr. Phil, uh, reading parenting magazines, or, or parenting books, you're going to get pop psychology, and you're going to get behavior modification. Uh, The idea is this, reward good behavior uh, in a tangible way, and either ignore or correct, uh, punish, not correct, punish bad behavior. So under this uh, behavior modification, pop psychology, you are rewarding good behavior, and you're punishing or ignoring bad behavior. Um, Now, let me make a note, or let me note something here, uh, and Tripp points this out, and I completely agree. Uh, Tripp says, I am not against praising children for doing what's right, but we must reject the idea that children should be rewarded for fulfilling normal responsibilities. So, he's not saying don't praise children. What he's saying is we must reject the idea that they should be Rewarded for doing normal responsi- responsibilities. Uh, this takes many different forms. Um, one form uh, that this method takes is uh, having agreements or contracts with kids. Um, and again, I, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to step all over your feet today. Uh, <laughs> and just know I'm stepping on mine as well. Uh, I first Uh, was exposed to this book years and years ago, and it seems like every time I go through it, I'm like, oh, let me pull that dagger out of my heart, Uh, because I am just slow to pick this stuff up, I guess. Uh, So, I just wanted to say that I'll be on your feet a lot today. Um, Contracts or agreements. You might have this contract if, if your son or daughter keeps their room clean for a month, then they'll get an, a new Xbox or a PS4. Uh, if your child does their household chore for a week, then you take them out for ice cream. It's a contract or an agreement, and it, a lot of different forms. Uh, just the idea of if you do this, then you get this. Most of us grew up under this method, I would venture to say. Um, because this has been popular for many years. uh, And and honestly, you may be asking yourself right now, what's wrong with that? Uh, After all, it works. Um, But we must not be pragmatists. Uh, Just because something works doesn't mean it's right or biblical. Biblical. Um, You can have uh, one book claims, you can have a new kid by Friday, but at what cost and what are we really teaching our kids? Think about it for a second. Since behavior and heart are so closely connected, whatever modifies behavior inevitably trains The heart. Since behavior and heart are so closely connected, whatever we use to modify behavior is training the heart. You may have picked up on this, but children have a fundamental flaw they're selfish. Children are fallen beings, Um, they aren't born neutral. And so they are born selfish. This method, this um, behavior modification, pop psychology method, feeds this self-interest. It teaches them to work the system. And kids are really good at that. We're all really good at that. Uh, A child is not taught under this method to look out for the interest of someone else which the Bible calls us to do. The child is not taught the motivations of their heart and why they're doing certain things. They're not taught about doing the right things because they're living quorum Deo. They're living before the face of God. That's not taught in this method. And our motives matter. Um, I was thinking about this and, and you'll know this, this passage uh, immediately when I start reading it. But think about what it's saying. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so as to remove mountains but I have not love, I am Nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain what? Nothing. Um, Under this method, your kids aren't learning that. They're not learning that motivation matters for doing what's right. The third uh, unbiblical method is emotionalism this is an appeal to certain emotions uh, in the child in order to get them to comply or or to do what you want them to do and it often sounds something like this and you could this has a thousand different faces as well Uh, I'm so disappointed in you makes me really sad when you do this you know you really hurt my feelings when you said that You really embarrassed me when you did that. By the way, uh, wives, that's not only true for your kids, it's also true for your husbands. Um, You can pull the emotional... (laughs) Just kidding. Jen never does that. Uh, What are we teaching our kids by this? Uh, Oh, actually, there's one more, sorry. That could be a threat. Uh, And again, it's any appeal to an emotion in the kid to get them to comply. Uh, And Tripp has this illustration in his book where uh, um, he noticed a mom at an airport and this mom had her child with her and the child was just being a terror. And the mom finally in frustration said, you know what, you stay here, I'm going to go sit over there and you stay by yourself, I'm leaving you here. And all of a sudden the kid changed. The kid realized now, because it was a small child, "Uh uh-oh, I've messed up and now I'm losing my security, my mom's going to leave me here. And so, what was the mom doing? She was appealing to the fear of being left alone to get the kid to obey. Um, And it works. Again, all of these methods can work. Uh, If your objective is to have well-behaved kids, again, that's where we have to align our objective and our methods. If your goal is just to have well-behaved kids, these are great methods, But they can't, they're not biblical methods because your goal's not biblical. Um, Problems with this, it focuses on shaming the child into obedience in in one form or another. The child is not learning to obey for the glory of God. Um, Heart issues of disobedience are ignored. And the child's either going to grow up doing one of two things if you employ emotionalism a lot. The child's either going to grow up with a really unhealthy, lifelong uh, need to please their parents, or they're going to emotionally detach from the parents to insulate themselves from the the hurt, the constant hurt emotionally, and then they're going to become unresponsive to the parents emotionally at all. The fourth and last one that we're going to look at is punitive correction, Uh, and this is a threat of of it's not only it could be the threat of punishment or punishment itself, and this takes a couple of different forms as well. Uh, it could be hitting or, or yelling at your kid, um, and that could be the punishment. And, and by the way, uh, when I say hitting, I'm not referring, uh, and I'm distinguishing that by saying hitting from the biblical use of the rod, um, which we'll look at later. Uh, it could be grounding. I know I just got on some toes. Uh, I got on mine just then. Uh, it could be grounding from TV, games, phones, or friends. What's the problem with this punitive uh, method? Again, they, they all have the same problem. They're not really dealing with the issues that cause the bad behavior. Uh, you can just ask yourself, what does grounding do for my children? You might have a hard time answering that question, because grounding is not designed to do something for a kid. Grounding is designed to do something to a kid. Does that make sense? Uh, and that same thing with the, with the punishment, either yelling or hitting, uh, it, all of, all of this, this method is not corrective, it is punitive. It's not corrective, it's Punitive. So, why is grounding so popular? It's because it's easy. You're tired. You don't want to engage this kid. Grounding's easy. I'm just going to ground them. I don't have to deal with it then. Uh, it does not require ongoing interaction, it doesn't require patient instruction it doesn't require patient in the the kid the child uh, engaging the heart uh, grounding is just easy uh, so it's very popular but um, the question is not does it work but does it line up with our biblical goal um And I think if we look at each of these and answer that question honestly, I think we quickly realize uh, these methods aren't effective in attaining the goal that God has given us as parents. Um, They are expedient, but are they effective? They work, but what do they produce in our kids? All of these methods fall short, um, and if you think about the fruit that they bear long-term in the hearts of your kids, I think you come to the same conclu- conclusion. They, they're only addressing the behavior. They're not getting to the heart. They're never tracing behavior back to the heart. They're just dealing with behavior. and In essence, they're missing the point of biblical child training. They, they basically lead to superficial parenting, not shepherding. Uh, Tripp writes this, If you address only behavior in your children, you never get to the cross of Christ. It is impossible to get from preoccupation with behavior to the gospel, which should be our ultimate goal. How does the heart change? Changes from a gospel encounter, an encounter with Christ. The gospel is not a message about doing new things. It is a message about being a new creature. It speaks to people as broken, fallen sinners who are in need of a new heart. God has given His Son to make us new creatures. God does. Not, let me stop there. Period. God does open heart surgery. He does not do facelifts. He produces change from the inside out. He rejects the man who fasts twice a week and accepts the sinner who cries out for mercy. Let's just take, uh, as I wrap up here, let's just take an example and look at each of these methods. Um, Let's say, for example, you have a child who's failing to do their homework. Well, the default method uh, might sound something like this. If If I didn't do my homework, my dad would smack me around. Besides, The work that you have to do is way easier than what I had. I had to walk two miles to and from school in the snow. And my homework was harder than yours. That's the default method. (laughs) What about behavior modification, pop psychology? If you do your homework, I'll take you to the ballgame on Friday. Contract. Agreement. Emotional appeal please do your work. I've invested a lot in your education, and it makes me sad when you don't do your work. Punitive. If you don't do your homework, you'll be grounded for a week. All of these are methods that we can employ, but again, what is the goal? If the goal is just to change behavior, if the goal is just to get your kid to do the homework, then those methods work really good. They're great. But if your method is to get your kid to work diligently on their schoolwork for God's glory, to live life quorum Deo, to see their life in relationship to God and that God calls them to be diligent, then those methods don't work very well. Um. Again, they all focus on behavior and therefore they miss the real point of parenting God's way. Um, the emphasis is on getting the homework done. The child's not being, tra- being trained to make ethical choices as a responsible person living before God. They are not being shown their hard attitude and they're not learning to live life knowing that honoring God and glorifying God is best. And, probably most importantly, you will not or you will have a very hard time getting from any of those responses to the gospel. So, you may be thinking about now, well, great, you've just emptied my toolbox of all my tools. (laughs) So, uh, come back next week, and we'll look at some biblical tools. Um, let me pray for us, and boy, do we need prayer. Father, we fall short in so many ways. Lord, and we just want to repent of using, employing unbiblical methods and having unbiblical goals in our parenting Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes that are wide open. Lord, help us to be the parents that you've called us to be. Help us to see the high calling that you've given us as parents. Lord, we pray for our kids, that they would grow to know you and glorify you. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, you would help us this week to even look at the methods we're using uh, when we're frustrated or when we have an issue with one of our children and help us to think through the impact of that method and what goal do we really have? Lord, we thank you for your word. And we, we just pray that you would help us to grow in our parenting. We help pray that you would help us to see our kids uh, as, as gifts from you. And Lord, help us to be faithful. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.